Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. When Jesus gets a hold of a situation, it, it never decreases, it always increases. He said, give me, give me five fishes and two loaves and I'll feed 5,000. Amen. And just, just say one prayer and I'll meet every need in the building. Just give me what you got and I'll work in every life in this building. I want us right now to offer up unto God what we have. I want you to offer up unto God if you brought five loaves, if you brought five loaves and two fish, if you just brought enough for you today, if all you came today was enough faith that God could move in your situation, I want you to offer unto God whatever you got. And I want us to offer that unto him, put it in the hands of Jesus, and let's see what he can do. Let's watch God begin to break and multiply and feed the multitudes in this house today. In the name of Jesus, our faith is in you, Lord. Our faith does not stand in the wisdom of man, but it stands in the power of God. We're asking you, Lord, every physical ailment, hallelujah, God, every emotional wound, every broken heart, Lord, every mind that is mired in discouragement and depression, Lord, right now we ask you to take the, that, Lord, those five loaves and two fish and break them and multiply them so that the multitude can be fed. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You are the God of miracles. Amen. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. And this morning, earlier on, the those that had come for prayer at 9 o'clock. At the conclusion of prayer, I talked to the, a little bit. I, some of you will remember back in the day when Midway Drive seemed like every Sunday before the bishop got up to preach, somebody would announce to the crowd that we pass out seatbelts. It was, it was a joke, but the, the point was that things, are, things go a little bit, we get a little bit crazy in here from time to time. Amen. Bishop, normally when he would preach, it would things would happen, right? And, and we, it's not stuff you, you're not going to see this at Walmart. You're not going to feel what you feel in here at Target. And I don't care if they give you 50% off, it's still not going to feel as good as what you feel in here. Amen. You're, you're not going to get a meal like what you're going to get here. You're not going to find that at Longhorn. Even if it is Monique waiting on you, you're still not going to get it. Amen. And, and today I, I told them that I know what God has given me and Brother Trey kind of prepared the way. Well, Trey, I, told, I don't know if you were in here earlier. I told everybody they're going to think by the time I'm done that you and I got together last night and had a conference call about what to talk about today. We didn't, we didn't talk about anything. And I think to me that gives, because what I'm going to talk about today is a, a weighty matter, at least I feel the weight of it in my spirit. And so it gives me some confidence to know that it's, it is the Holy Ghost because something of the magnitude that I'm going to minister today and some of the things that I know God's given me to say 
you wrestle before you speak it and then probably again after wrestling is this God I want to make sure it's God um, because if it's flesh it can the, 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 the Old Testament said that, that the law can wound but the spirit makes things whole and if we do things in the flesh it can wound but if we do it in the spirit that same word if it's, if it's from the Holy Ghost it, it's there to, to mend and make things better amen so pass out the seatbelts in other words get your seatbelts ready and here's what I ask. Wait until I'm done. All right, there will be some things I might say in the midst of it that you might wonder where am I going with this, but wait until I'm finished. More importantly, wait until the Holy Ghost is finished. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to their lowercase Lord. Was it talking about Jehovah? Even unto Rehoboam, he was talking about if they go up to Jerusalem to sacrifice, they're going to be reunited with Judah. They're going to turn away from me and they're going to turn to Rehoboam, who is the king of Judah. And they will kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah, where upon the king took counsel. Jeroboam took counsel and made two calves of gold said to the people it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem behold thy gods O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan and this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan and he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of Levi. Rehoboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month like unto the feast that is in Judah. It was like the feast that God had ordered but it wasn't that feast and he offered upon the altar so did he in Bethel sacrificing unto the calves that he had made and he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made Verse 33, so he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, 15th day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast under the altar, or under the children of Israel rather, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Just a few more verses down to 1 Kings chapter 14, verse number 14. Moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day. But what? Even now. For the Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and he shall root up Israel out of his good land which he gave to their fathers and shall scatter them beyond the rivers because they have made their groves provoking the Lord to anger and he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who did sin and who made Israel to sin. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. I want to preach for just a little bit today on the sin of Jeroboam. Now, we have all said it before. There is some truth to it. We've all said, though, that sin is sin. The little white lie, the deep, dark grudge that we hide away in the recesses of our heart, the murderous thoughts, doesn't matter because sin is sin. 
Now, our modern culture has decisively and abruptly decided to redefine sin. Apparently, the offense of identifying the potato heads by their gender, Mr. and Mrs., is an egregious, inexcusable sin. Or the unforgivable offenses of Dr. Seuss's rhythmic lyrics that could be stretched and constructed as offensive by the mentally weak who carry their feelings on their cuff walking around with a chip on their shoulder. And while the media has determined that we should keep our children safe from the offensive phrases from McGillicott's Pool or Scrambled Egg Supper written by Dr. Seuss, simultaneously they have selected the devil-infested, perverted Cardi B and her X-rated lyrics to be the song of the year. If you don't know what song I'm talking about, please don't look it up. And if you have it in your playlist, get to an altar as soon as you can and pray through. And even while I'm here, some of you are hypnotized by the lie of the devil. You truly think that there is a media that's out there that cares about society. It's an agenda that's at work. Here's how you can tell an agenda. It's inconsistency. Inconsistency. They say in one area we want to protect our children by getting rid of offensive content from Dr. Seuss while elevating Cardi B and her perverted lyrics. It's inconsistency in agenda, and if you can't see it through it, it's because you're dealing with a demon in your own life, and you need to get to an altar and pray that devil out of your mind. It makes no sense. Just common sense is all I ask. It makes no sense to cancel Dr. Seuss in order to protect our children, yet elevate vile vomit from the pit of hell. And if you call or email, text, I'm not apologizing. Somebody's going to have to start taking a stand against what's going on in our society. Somebody, somebody is going to have to stop being afraid of cancel culture and say, thus saith the Lord. What's going on? What's happening in our world? Now, I don't know the impact of what I have to say today, and probably you think you already know the path I'm going down, and very likely you couldn't be more wrong. If I've already made you mad at me, I'll give you a viable solution probably in a moment. Because as vile as the lyrics of Cardi B and as sick and perverted as our society is quickly becoming where their laws are being passed today where a five-year-old can decide their gender no matter what a parent says about it. But what do we, that's the world, that's what the world does. But I'm here today to offer to this church and again hear everything I have to say I'm, offer, I'm here to offer my resignation to this church for my sins. Now, I'm not here today to admit to an affair. I don't have some secret life on the side. There's no other woman in my life, and there sure is not any other dude in my life. I'm not stealing money. I don't have a drinking problem. I'm not smoking wacky weed or abusing prescription pills. I'm not a perfect man. I have my faults and my shortcomings. I struggle with lust just like any other man. I haven't told the truth in every difficult situation. I battle with anger, fear, worry, and discouragement. 
And while I hope that you all can forgive me for those failings and inadequacies, none of those are the sins for which I come to confess to you today. I stand before you today guilty of the sin of Jeroboam. Now, if we were to grade sins, our first instinct would likely to be to rank the sin of Jeroboam as being insignificant. Probably after, as we just kind of at a surface look at the sin of Jeroboam, and when I begin even to tell you what that sin is, you might look at it and say, Pastor, that's not a really big deal. We don't, that's nothing we need to be concerned about. It's really not that big of a deal, Pastor. We would put sins like adultery, murder, stealing, fornication, homosexuality. We would rank those at the top of the totem pole of sin. Maybe one level down from that, we would put cussing, drinking, smoking, snorting, lying, cheating, peeking at porn. Maybe one level down. If we were grading sins, Jeroboam's sin likely wouldn't even make it on the totem pole. Yet here is what I know about sin. The little white lie will put you in the same devil's hell as adultery. Giving somebody the one finger salute will send you to the same lake of fire as murder and armed robbery will. As far as degrees of sin go, sin is sin. However, the totem pole of sin, there is a totem pole of sin. And that totem pole of sin comes into play when we start to understand the degree of the impact of sin. Because there are some sins that impact and influence more than other sins. You see, there's some sin that we commit that will only impact my life. But there are other sins that we commit that impact the lives of countless people and even generations that are yet to come. And when we consider this, we would understand that perhaps the most devastating and destructive of the sins against the church listed in the Bible is the sin of Jeroboam. The sin of which I am guilty and for which I stand today to confess to you. Perhaps your reply and your response is to quickly dismiss this confession as being no big deal. Pastor, it's no big deal. We love you anyhow. It's not that big of a deal. We can work through it, Pastor. I'm sure that we can. It's nothing that we can't work out and come to an understanding on. But you don't understand the consequences of the sin of Jeroboam. You don't fully comprehend the devastating impact of the sin of Jeroboam. If you fully understood the nature and the consequence of the sin of Jeroboam, you would understand why on this Sunday I will spend the entire Sunday morning confessing to my following, to those that are following today, Amen. Those that are here today that I'm going to confess that I have followed in the ways of Solomon's servant who became the king of Israel by the name of Jeroboam. See, the sins of Jeroboam would cast their shadow upon the reigns of 15 kings of Israel. That's 15 generations. It's not about whether the, 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 the sin was a little white lie or a deep, dark grudge held in the spirit. It's the impact that it has. And the sin of Jeroboam is a sin that has an impact not just upon you, but on your children and your children's children. The destructive influence of Jeroboam would be felt for more than two and a half centuries, nearly 300 years, they would deal with the consequences of the sin of Jeroboam. No less than 21 times throughout the scripture, 
the Bible in different various, long after Jeroboam has passed, there are scriptures that say that the Israel, that Jeroboam caused Israel to sin. They would sin, and the scripture, the writer would say, even though Jeroboam's not here, the reason that you sinned was because of Jeroboam. The sin of Jeroboam was the primary cause of the captivity of the ten tribes of Israel. If you want to know why did they go, why did they have to spend time in Babylon? Why were they made to be slaves and servants in Babylon? If you want to know why, it points back to one man and one decision. It points back to the sin of Jeroboam. While it may seem to many here is no big deal, certainly in the scope of failures by human beings today, not a fireable offense. I assure you in the eyes of God and if you understood the impact it's already having upon your families and upon your children, you would know that the sin of Jeroboam is no small matter. And while I'm not here today, I promise you in an effort to convince you to get rid of me or that it's time for you to look to another leader, I must explain to you the nature and the qualities of Jeroboam's sin because like every other sin, Jeroboam's sin must be dealt with. In order for the influence of Jeroboam's sin to be destroyed and lifted off of our children and our children's children, the sin of Jeroboam must be dealt with. And if ever there were a sin that must be dealt with, it is the sin of Jeroboam. If I were to summarize the sin of Jeroboam into a clearly defined phrase, it would simply be the sin of convenience. More pointedly, it was the sin of Jeroboam that he created a religion of convenience. 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 through 28 describe the incubator of the sin of Jeroboam. They describe the process that produced the sin of Jeroboam. Step number one, if you look at verse 26. 1 Kings chapter 12, the Bible says that Jeroboam said in his heart, Jeroboam said in his heart. The sin of Jeroboam is a a sin that is birthed in the heart. See, the heart is the center of our feelings and emotions. Long before the sin of Jeroboam showed up in his conversation, what I'm explaining to you today is a temptation of leadership. It is an offering that is made to every leader to go the way of Jeroboam. It's, it's an opportunity that every leader, every father of every, every home, every husband in every marriage, amen, every pastor that, that leads a congregation is offered the temptation to walk in the way of Jeroboam. Long before the sin showed up in his conversation, it was already at work in his consideration. Long before it ever made its way into a law or a decree, it was already at work in the heart of Jeroboam as a feeling or a thought. You see, Jeroboam began to lead the people based upon what felt right rather than what he knew to be right. And you may not think there's a difference, but I promise you there is a difference. Jeroboam knew that Jerusalem was the place that God had established as the place of worship. Jeroboam knew that God himself had established the temple atop Mount Zion as the place where sacrifice was to be offered unto Jehovah. Yet, 
Jeroboam said in his heart, he said, I know what is right. I know that God has ordained there is a place that we must go to worship. But Jeroboam, the Bible said, said in his heart, he began to think with his feelings and emotions rather than what he knew in his mind was right and best for the people. He began to say, I'm going to go with what I feel is right rather than what I know is right. And that is the incubator of the sin of Jeroboam. Now, my motives have not been the same as Jeroboam, but my error has been identical. You see, it was Jerob- here, here's, the, here's the error where Jeroboam and I, where I looked at, I began to read this scripture and I said, that sounds like me. Because Jeroboam desired to have the affection of the people. Verse 27 tells us that he knew that if the people go to Jerusalem, they will turn against me. And then they'll begin to follow Rehoboam, who is the king of Judah. And I know that my heart has always been toward the people. I love the people. I love this congregation. I love your families. I love your children. I love you as the husband and the wife, the lead of your family. I love you all. And to a fault, I know this about myself. I am a people pleaser. If you don't like me, I don't sleep at night. If I think you don't like me, I don't sleep at night. It bothers me when people don't like me. If I preach something hard and I see it irritated you, I'm probably going to send you a text afterwards. Hey, how you doing? Now you know what I was doing was making sure me and you were all right. Because I care how you feel about me. I want to be liked. I want to be viewed favorably. I couldn't be a president. I need more than 51% approval rating. I, I need to know people like me. I want to be viewed favorably. I want my picture to be under a magnet on your refrigerator, not impaled by a dart on your dartboard. And yet, it has been my desire to be liked and perhaps even adored by the people that has led me to make decisions based upon what I feel is right rather than what I know is right. And this is the incubator for the sin of Jeroboam. It is in this incubator of desire to win the favor and the approval of the people that the damning sin of Jeroboam was birthed. This leads to the second step in the process of the sin of Jeroboam. When Jeroboam began to lead by what he said in his heart, it then influenced what he said to the people. You see, how he felt began to influence how he led. Amen. I'm going to very slowly read verse 28 with you if you would follow with me. The Bible says, Whereupon the king Jeroboam took counsel. He made two calves of gold and said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The king took counsel. He made two calves of gold and said to them, it is too much for you. He said to the people, it's, I know what's right, Cortez, I know what's right. But it's too much for you. I want you to like me, so it's too much for you. He allowed counsel to convince him to create a religion of convenience. And over the years, I've read books that have shaped my leadership. I recall one very formative book that I read probably 10 years ago titled, Simple Church. It's a book that has great points in it, but it is, it's the very, it, it, it's, it's very much sounds like the order of Jeroboam's advisors. It, 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 what it does is it encourages pastors to get rid of sacrifices 
and find ways to streamline the calendar for your church. Instead of asking so much out of your congregation, find ways to get rid of things that might be excess. Find ways that you're not asking so much of your people. And if, if you can take care of prayer and a service at the same time, do that so you're not having to ask them to come to the church to pray one night and service on another night. What it's saying is you're asking too much of your people and I've listened to counsel that has caused me to shape my outlook. I've allowed my desire for your favor and approval to bring me to an incorrect conclusion that I've asked too much of you. I've allowed myself to be intimidated and even manipulated into creating a religion of convenience. It has influenced me to lead by what I feel. Rather, You know what I know? I know that there has to be a time that we come together and we pray. There's got to be a time that we come together and we pray in this building and we don't do anything else but we pray. I know that. I know that. I know that, but what I felt is, God, I'm asking too much of them. It's too much to ask them to come back on Saturday night and to pray. And so rather than doing what I know is right, I've gone with what I felt is right because of influences in my life. I have sinned in the sin of Jeroboam. It's influenced me to lead by what I feel rather than I know. But at the end of the day, the king cannot blame his advisors. I can't blame it on a book I read. I can't blame it on people that have said that's too much. It's not their fault. That's what they are. They're counselors. They're advisors. They're voices of reason. But at the end of the day, it's the king's responsibility to make, I'm not calling myself a king. But it is the leader's responsibility to make the decision. It was not the sin of Jeroboam's advisors or counselors. It was the sin of Jeroboam. And at the end of the day, I cannot blame the books that I've read. I can't blame the voices that have spoken in my ear. At the end of the day, I am the pastor, or at least if you'll let me stay that, I am the pastor of this church, and it's nobody else's responsibility but mine to say, God, you know, I know what your word says that we should do, and it's not too much to ask the body of Christ to come and pray together. It's not too much to have you come to the house of God three or four times a week. It's not too much. I know that. I know that. But I haven't felt that. And rather than leading by what I know, I've led by what I feel. I know the church must pray. But prayer's not on our calendar because it's too much. I know we need more church and not less, but we've removed Sunday night because it's too much. I know the church fasting together is something we must do, yet slowly and gradually we've stopped doing it because it's too much. And I'm being transparent and I'm confessing to you my sin. What about you? The sin of Jeroboam isn't isolated to me. When you begin to feel that too much enter into your spirit, when the pastor says we're going to have a special service, something rises up in your spirit, let me tell you what that is. It's a sin of Jeroboam. 
when the pastor calls for a special offering so that we can give to a missionary and something rises up in your spirit and says, I'm already giving too much. Let me tell you what that is. It's a sin of Jeroboam. When the pastor says, we're going to start praying every Saturday night and something rises up in your spirit and says, I'm already at the church too much. Let me tell you what that is. It's a, it is the sin of Jeroboam. And the sin of Jeroboam has consequences. And you may not know it, but your children and your children's children are already dealing with the consequences of Jeroboam's sin. It is not too much. Now, my motives have been commendable. You should pat me on the back for my motives. I've thought of you. I've thought of the jobs that you work. I've thought of the limited times you have with your families. I think of the hobbies that I know you want to enjoy, and I've thought of those things. Think of some of you good folks that drive 30, 40 minutes each way to church. And I've thought to myself, it's too much, God. I, I just can't ask them to go to Jerusalem. It's too much, Lord. I, they, they work 50 hours a week, and now you're asking me to ask them to come back on Saturday, the only day they really had to spend with their family, and, or Monday, whatever the night is, you pick. And the enemy begins to speak into my, and, and counsel, advisors, books I read tell me it's too much. You can't ask that of the people. And yet the Bible says this thing became a sin to the people when we try to make God convenient, when we try to fit God into our schedule, when we try to fit God into our calendar it becomes a sin it's supposed to cost you it's supposed to cost you everything and Jeroboam said I know if they keep sacrificing they won't love me anymore listen you better love God more than you love me Can I get some help right now? It's too much. It's not too much to have prayer meeting once a week. It's not too much to have a special revival every now and then. But Jeroboam thought about the people and he said it's too much for them. Now I've been to Jerusalem, not, not in the spirit. I've literally been to Jerusalem. I've driven on a bus up the winding steep roads. I, I wouldn't even today with paved roads try to make that walk. It is literally straight uphill from any point around to, to get into Jerusalem. And I, I guarantee you that when, when Jeroboam the king stood before those ten tribes of Israel and said, hey, guess what? You no longer have to make your way to Jerusalem. I promise you those people were not mad at Jeroboam. They were saying, he's a jolly good fellow, they, they were, Jeroboam is the man, raise the roof, raise the, whatever. They, they were hyping him up. Man, you guys got Rehoboam. We got the good guy. We got the good king. We don't have to climb that mountain two or three times a year for the feast. We don't have to do that nonsense. We don't, we don't have to do all of that. Our king is making us a religion of convenience. They praised him for taking the struggle out of their relationship with Jehovah. And I've said in my heart, perhaps, maybe we're just in a different time, Sister Lawrence, than we were 30 years ago when we had church four or five times a week. Come on. Some of y'all are going to shut down on me right now, but that's all right. I got a letter on the table if you don't like it. Back in the day, we'd come together Wednesday night, and we'd start having church at 7 
No, we'd start with prayer at 6, and it wasn't come and stand around and chit-chat. It was prayer. And we had prayer enforcers that would walk. They weren't, they weren't given that title. They just took it upon themselves. Sister Brown and Sister Bush, they both had, ah, 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 ah. smack you on the head, tap you on the shoulder. They weren't worried about how you felt. Prayer. We prayed from 6.30 to 7, and many times we didn't get home until 11 o'clock at night from midweek Bible study. But we've got it all straight, and this isn't on you, this is on me. Now we've got it streamlined to where by the, you get here at 6.30 and you're back home by 8.30. We, we're take, why? Because I didn't want to put too much. Again, that's not on you, that's on me. And what I'm doing if, and what I've already done, and, and I don't know, I pray to God it's not too late. I, I pray to God it's not too late for your children and your children's children because there are consequences for the sin of Jeroboam. There's consequences for trying to make our relationship with God a convenient. This is never meant to be convenient. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. And I've said in my heart, well, maybe it's just a different day than it was back then. You know, maybe my dad was just a crazy radical leader and he's watching right now, so I better be careful. And they had church four or five times a week, and everybody seemed happy about it back then. I don't know if they would be now, and I want the people to like me, so I'm not going to ask too much of them. We're just going to streamline things, and I'll make sure you've got plenty of time for your families and plenty of time for your friends and plenty of time for your hobbies. And meanwhile, the thing has become a sin. Said in my heart, you know those five-day fasts in January? Always it gets in somebody's birthday or anniversary. I mean, they're like, Pastor, man, we wanted to go away for our anniversary, and you put fast day right in the middle of it. So it's too much, too much. I've gone the way of Jeroboam. I followed the sin of Jeroboam. And I know, even as I preach, some of you are what's the big deal? Some of you, those decisions I've made have endeared you to me. You love me more because of those decisions. You consider to me to be a great leader for the very sin that might one day destroy your grandchildren. To others of you, well, at least he's not sleeping around. I'm not, don't worry. I fear God and Valerie. Ain't going to be no repentance for that one, I'll just tell you that. At least he didn't get up here today and tell us he's stealing money like so many other pastors stand up before their congregations. But here, how about this? God forgave David for adultery, but he cursed Jeroboam for making religion convenient. And I know that I know you think what I'm telling you today is no big deal. And by the same token, if I stood up in this altar, in this platform, and told you that I had had an affair, you'd, you'd be looking to the next man. But I'm telling you, in the eyes of God, the sin that I am guilty of is far more grievous than a sin of adultery because this sin has far reaching impact. When you try to fit God into your calendar, when you try to squeeze God into a convenient place, it will destroy you, it will destroy your children, it will destroy your children's children. It is the sin of Jeroboam. We got to get God back first in this church. We got to get prayer back on the calendar. We got to get sacrifice back in our giving. If I call a special service on Friday, it shouldn't be that 30 of you show up. 
and 29 of you that are here are grumbling under your breath. It ought not be that way. It ought to be. It's a privilege to go to Jerusalem. It's a privilege to worship God. Jeroboam, it's not too much. It's not too much. It's the least that I can do. Which led to the third step in the process of the sin of Jeroboam. The Bible says he made a house of high places. Listen, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. He made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Levi here right now? Talking about you, Levi. You may look at our platform and you say, Pastor, I think we're doing a pretty good job there. I mean, our platform, you know, they, they all, they look right. I mean, I'm not digging into anybody's past. I don't know what they're living like when they go home, but I think for the most part, they're doing pretty good. We have a strong standard for our leaders. But don't forget, this is the final step in the process. This is the last one to manifest itself. Things might be all right at this point, but if we keep on making God a convenience in our lives, we keep on putting prayer as, you know, kind of an elective, if you, if you can make it early on Wednesday, you know, if you can get out of bed, we've got donuts to entice you now, man. If you can, if you can, come, if you can come early, and we'll give you a donut even if you come pray. Starts there. Starts here in the mind of the leader. Then it makes its way into our priorities, which show up on our calendar, which show up in our consistencies, what we do on a consistent basis. And God forbid we've spent more time in donuts and coffee than we have in prayer as a church. And that's my fault, not yours. And if you don't think that makes its way into your children and your children's children, you better guess again. God forbid we raise a generation that knows how to love donuts but doesn't know how to love God. Uh, God forbid we know we have a generation that knows how to, how to come and get a cup of coffee but doesn't know how to come and intercede for a move of God. I'm not cutting out the donuts and coffee, but I'm telling you it's not too much for you to come and pray. It's not too much for you to come to church at 9 o'clock and spend a half hour in prayer. There's nothing I could ask of you that would be too much. As long as it's biblical in its basis. If I said for the rest of 2021 we're having church every night, it would not be too much. Some of you are like, I'll be careful about nodding on this one. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'll talk about this. I'm not going to go crazy. But it would not be too much. It would not be too much for you to come to the house of God every day the rest of this year. It might be the best thing that ever happened to some of you to come to church every day the rest of this year and be in the house of God, in the presence of God, worshiping God with the people of God. But, but it makes its way into the priesthood, the ministry. It's always the last thing to show up. It's the final step. Things might be all right right now, but it's just a matter of time if we keep making God convenient. 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but if you study the Levitical priesthood, the one thing it says about Jeroboam is he started using ministers that were not from the tribe of Levi. If you, start, if you study that out and you understand what those Levites represented, those that would stand in the role of the priesthood, why they had to be from the tribe of Levi. Got you that time. He's watching me now. You would find there is a reason that these Levites considered it a privilege to minister before the Lord. Numbers chapter 3 verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, listen closely, saying, And behold, I have taken the Levites from the, among the children of Israel instead of all the firstborn that opened the matrix among the children of Israel. He said that night, Moses, you remember when the death angel went through the land and passed over? And the cry went up from Egypt and the firstborn son from all of Egypt died. You remember how I didn't do that in Israel when I passed over, over Goshen and all your firstborn didn't die but they stayed alive? He said, because I let your children live, the Levite, the tribe of the Levites belonged to me. I don't know if you caught that. But on the night the death angel passed through Egypt and the firstborn throughout the, it didn't, it didn't, the death angel wasn't looking on their birth certificate to see, you know, if you're, if you're Egyptian or Israel. That's not what it was looking for. It was looking for one thing, the blood. And when that death angel saw the blood had been applied to the door, when it saw the blood of the spotless lamb had been applied to the doorpost and the mantle, the Bible says the death angel passed over. That's why they call it the feast of the Passover. And he said, listen here, Moses, the reason that I did it, the reason that I want the Levite to be a tribe that will minister, every time that Levite gets up there and begins to minister, it's a testimony to the blood. It's a reminder to everybody in the building uh, that the reason that your children are alive uh, is because of the blood. That's why we got to have ministry on the platform uh, that remembers uh, it's because of the blood. The only reason I'm here uh, is because of the blood. Every one of you young men that stand up in this pulpit, every one of you young ladies, uh, every time you stand up here, you ought to, there ought to be an honor that comes over you. It is an honor to stand here because if it weren't for the blood. Maddie, every time you sit down on this keyboard and start playing, every time you grab this guitar, every time you grab that bass, I've confessed my sins. I've con not all of them. Some of you don't need to hear, but I've confessed my sins today. I've told you. I've failed this church. I, I've told you. I have. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not browbeating myself. I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle myself or, you know, self, what do they call that? Whatever. Afflict pain to, to get your sympathy. That's not what this is about. But the sin of Jeroboam starts making its way onto a platform when people feel entitled to roles of ministry. When people grab a bass guitar or a set of drumsticks and, and if practice goes 10 minutes too long, they start grumbling in there. That is the sin of Jesus. Every time you get up there, you ought to thank God. You've got the opportunity. It's the blood of Jesus that brought you out. You shouldn't even be here. You shouldn't even be alive. 
You shouldn't even be in this building. The only reason you're up there is because of the blood. The only reason you can play that guitar. Brent, grab that guitar. Grab your guitar, Brent. Put a smile on your face. They, we ought to be able to tell just by looking at him. Hey, that guy is a testimony of the blood of Jesus. There ought not be any entitlement walking up here acting like, why ain't I got to sing a solo lately? It ain't about you. It's about him. When you get up in this pulpit to preach, you ought to be a testimony of the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. When our guests walk in here, they ought not look up at the platform and have to wonder if you're even glad to be here. Grimacing and frowning and fretting. They didn't get the praise set out in time for me to practice it, blah, blah. Y'all wouldn't have liked Bishop. For those of you now, you're spoiled. Back in the day of Bishop, you got about five minutes notice. Here, here, here was your praise, your worship list. Here's enough time for you to work on it. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Uh, what were some other ones? Mighty God, Mighty God. Yeah, there we go. There's four songs, Maddie. You got five minutes. I'm telling y'all. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we have to get rid of excellence. And I'm not saying that we can't give God our best. But I am saying you ought not get bent out of shape. I am saying your attitude ought not get rotten. I am saying if practice goes 10 minutes too long, you ought to still thank God. It's an honor to be. It's an honor to minister. And whether it's me or the bass player, whether it's me or the drummer, whether it's me or the worship leader, the sin of Jeroboam begins to get into your entitlement and you feel like God owes it to you. Jeroboam said, I'll just use people that don't remember the blood is what brought them out. I'll just start people using people that people won't be able to tell. They won't be able to draw the line between the ministry that they're being used in and the person that they used to be. I'll just start using anybody. People that have forgotten their testimony start getting on your platform and you're done. Now I've been transparent, but now I'm making some of you mad at me right now because I'm walking on your gravestone. I'm asking you to help me right now because the sin of Jeroboam will destroy your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren. It's not too much for you to give God your best. It's not too much for you to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. It's not too much. Maddie, it's not too much for you to smile while you play this thing. You, you do. You do. You do. And I know you got to concentrate. If I was playing that thing, nobody would be smiling. I'd be the only one. Look at Pastor, he's having fun. None of the rest of us are, but wow. Every minister, our ushers, when, you, when they walk in these doors, they're looking at you. And they ought to see that's a testimony of somebody that used to be in sin, but look, God has changed them. They ought to be the, we, we, only need, we only have room for the tribe of Levi in this church. It's not about pedigree. It's about memory. That's why I love Jeremy getting up here last week. 
Jeremy just got up here raw, but what a testimony. I love Junior getting up here. Junior, I don't know. I don't think he's got a degree from Bible school yet, but I love Junior got up here on Wednesday night and started this service off. It's not about pedigree, Junior. It's about memory. Don't you ever forget where God brought you from. Don't you ever forget what God did in your life. Stand with me. You begin to see entitlement make its way into ministry. You're, you're seeing the fruit of sin of Jeroboam and it always leads in captivity in Babylon. When we have people on the praise team that only show up to church when they're on the schedule to sing, there's a problem. It may feel like I'm ripping on our leaders. It may feel like I'm taking the opportunity to point out the flaws of our ministry. But the truth is, it's not on them, it's on me. Because it started here in my mind. I started thinking about how guys work so many hours. You have a lot of time for your families. You know, I just want to ask too much of them. Slowly. It doesn't look much like it used to, Angelina, does it? Slowly, we've just started. We've removed the prayer off the calendar. Sunday night service is gone. and Stripping it away. And Wednesday nights, now we just come in and do our thing and we're back out the door in an hour. It's the sin of Jeroboam. That's not a big deal, Pastor. No, but if you could see five generations down the road see five, six generations down the road, if you could see this church in 30, 40 years, if we don't correct this now, if we don't understand that God was never meant to be a convenience, God was never meant to fit into your world, he was never meant to fit into your calendar, it was supposed to be Romans 12, 1, Trey, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. sin of Jeroboam creating a religion of convenience, removing sacrifice from the calendar, placing sacrifice with streamlining. Understand in Jeroboam's day, they didn't see it as a problem either. Nobody saw it. Patting Jeroboam on the back, man. I don't remember the last time I had to climb that big hill. Jeroboam, you are the man. We just go to Dan now if we want to offer sacrifice. Until 200 years later when their children were bound in chains in Babylon. I have. I've offered to you all today my resignation. I hope you don't take it, but I've offered it because this is my fault. And it is a problem. Whether you know it or not, it's a problem. And it must be remedied. This church needs and deserves spiritual leadership that will do what is right. Not what feels right. That will follow what God's word says is right, not what counsel and convenience say is right. If you don't see the problem, then it's likely already too late. Like leprosy that gets into the body and before you know it, you've been desensitized and you don't even feel it. 
Now, if you'll allow me, I will begin working right now to turn it around. Thank you, Brother Peoples. If you guys will allow me, I'm, and I'm not, here's what I can't do. Here's what we can't do. We can't just do a knee-jerk reaction and say, we know we're going to have church every night. That's what got Jeroboam into the problem is he said, he saw what Rehoboam was doing, and he said, I'm going to swing the pendulum the other way. What, it's gonna, what we're going to have to do is pray our way into getting right with God. We're going to have to get some priorities right. As a church, we've, I'm asking those of you that will be here Saturday at 6 o'clock to pray with me. And I'm not going to change our calendar yet. We're going to pray our way back into the right, to where our calendar reflects the right, pri- this isn't even a calendar, but it's symbolic, the right priorities. Prayer. Some of you, Sunday night service. I'm, I'm just telling you, we're going back there. I don't know in what form or fashion, but we're going back there. As you see the day approaching, don't neglect coming together even the more as you we need more coming together now more than we've ever needed it we need more of and I know it's going to ask a lot of you I know I know what I feel Trey I feel like I'm asking too much I know but I know what I know and I know that we need to be together and I know that we need to spend time in prayer and I know that we need to have revivals again and I know we need to have church until we break through some strong why because people aren't just walking into our church and getting the Holy Ghost like they used to We've lost some things, and we lost some things because of this, this guy right here. Started right here in this brain. I want you to pray with me right now. God, I ask you to turn the curse of Jeroboam from off of this church. Lord, it's my fault. God, the decisions that have been made rest with me and nobody else. It's not the books that I read. It's not the counsel that I received. I am the decision maker. God, you gave me and you exalted me into a role for the purpose of leading this church in spiritual walkways, in spiritual pathways. And Lord, I have not done what I should do because I have led by my feelings rather than what I know to be right. I have no desire to be a tyrant and ask too much of this congregation. But God, I know what you're asking of us is we've got to pray like we've never prayed. And we've got to worship like we've never worshipped. And it's going to cost like it's never cost before. And you're going to have to give like you've never given before. Come on, let's, let's together right now, let's go back to Jerusalem one more time. Let's climb that holy mountain. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with worshiping at a golden calf down in Dan. I'm not, I'm not settling for that. I'm going to the mountain. I need some Levites in this house. I need some of you that remember where God brought you from. I need some Levites that can stand and testify if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. Where would I be? Come on, Maddie, it's an honor to t- it's an honor to play those keys. Brother Plager, what an honor. I remember your testimony. What an honor. Look at what God has done. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.com.
livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.